Mac Power Users, episode 308, Workflows with Ben Thompson. Welcome back to another episode of the Mac Power Users podcast. I'm Katie Floyd alongside David Sparks. Hey, David. Hey, Katie Floyd. How are you today? I'm great. How are you? Excellent. Ready to uh, record another episode of the Mac Power Users. And we got a guest today that I'm quite excited about. Yeah, we'd like to welcome to the show, Mr. Ben Thompson. Welcome. Thank you for joining us, Ben. I'm happy to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, you've been on our... A little little intimidated, I have to say. Oh, Oh, really? (laughs) No. (laughs) Ditto, brother. Ditto. Yeah, you've been on our list for a while, and uh, you're a pretty big fish. We're glad to get you. Well, I feel feel woefully disorganized um, in in the presence of you guys, but we'll see how it goes. That's all of us, man. That's why we're here. (laughs) If we had it all figured out, we wouldn't need the podcast. Fair enough. Anyway, uh, for those of you who don't know Ben, uh, Ben is the proprietor of Stratechery, which is a website and a newsletter where he spends a lot of time talking about business and technology. Ben's been kind of looking at this stuff for 20 years. He worked at Apple. He worked at Microsoft. Um, and you really, you're just one of the, if I can say, I guess I can toot your horn, right? Uh, you're one of the premier uh, technology slash business bloggers out there. And um Whenever I don't understand what's going on, you know, like why did Apple have the biggest quarter ever? And everybody says their their stock is tanking. <laughs> I don't understand that. So I just go read Ben's website and he always explains it very nicely. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah. He also, uh, Ben, in addition, also, I know you, you do a lot of speaking on Wall Street. You've got the Exponent podcast, E-X-P-O-N-E-N-T, if you're listening at home where he talks about a lot of this stuff. So, you know, we've always enjoyed having Ben as a resource in the community. And um, I got to spend some time with you at WWDC last year and start to realize, oh, you know what, Ben is not just a smart guy. He's also a nerd like us. So we have to get him on the Mac Power Users to tell us about how he's pulling all this off. No, it's, it's super interesting. I mean, I think what do what you, uh, what, I, I'm, not, I'm not lying when I say that. Uh, one of the things that I think is is key to, that I write about and, and comes to mind when, when thinking about this sort of stuff is the idea of comparative advantage. And that is the idea that different people should focus on what they do best. And then ideally get other people to do the stuff that they're not so good at. And the idea of everyone kind of specializing um, as a group makes you more productive. And that, that applies to companies. And I think it can apply to individuals. Um, the, 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 ups, the upshot of it is, uh, I don't feel that my comparative advantage, as I hinted at before, lies in being particularly organized or having workflows figured out. Um, but I think the one thing I do get pretty intuitively is this idea. And I think that's a lot that gets at, you know, how I try to, how I think about my work and getting stuff done. Um, and it applies to, to my analysis broadly. So I, I am slightly, uh, intimidated to be talking to the experts, even if we are all struggling, as you say, but, uh, I'm glad to be here and thanks for the kind words. Well, Ben, why don't you start by telling us a little bit about your background? How did you get started? Um, how were you interested in tech and started following business and technology? I have a very kind of circuitous uh, route to where I'm at, which um, I think is 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 a good thing in uh, in in a few different respects. Uh, I actually studied. I went to school in in Wisconsin um, from, from from Wisconsin. Studied political science, which is obviously not about technology. Although, although in school I, I studied a whole host of things. I, I think I switched my major multiple times from something like uh, what I started with mechanical engineering, then computer science, uh, and 
So I have a bit of that of that background. Uh, I went where I go to then psychology, behavioral science, and law. Then I ended up with political science. You kind of see me moving across the spectrum. Uh, but by the, every time I every time I re I switched my major, I would reschedule out like every class is going to take until I graduated. Uh, which I imagine some of the the folks listening to this can relate to <laughs> taking that sort of attitude. By the by, the end I'm like, this is stupid. I'm just going to change my mind again. So I'm just going to take classes with great professors. I don't care what the subject is. And I think the moral of the story is probably obvious. Uh, I had just had a fantastic last few years of of university. Learned things, took classes that that at the time I would never have considered, but just because I knew the professor was or they were recommend, recommended by people I trusted. Uh, learned. You know, a really true kind of the, the 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 truest aspect of like a liberal arts sort of education, like just opening your mind and and thinking about things in new ways, and that's sort of been the philosophy that I that I took that I've taken to life broadly is you know the the problem with having a sort of like five year plan or a ten year plan is the, the biggest problem is that you might be you might succeed and yeah, amen. <laughs> ha- having having succeeded you will get there and look around and realize the world shifted while your eyes were so focused on your goal yeah. that you miss you miss what was happening and so uh i've tried to adopt a philosophy of of have, being in the moment you know certainly not being too obsessed with the future not not certainly not obsessed with the past and just being in the moment and trusting that when the opportunities come along i would take them and th- it sounds all pat and and Right now, because it's easy to say, uh, you know, to quote, you know, or to reference, you know, kind of Steve Jobs' famous Stanford speech, you know, you look backwards and all, all the steps make sense. But that does, that's not always the case going forward. And, um, you know, so I took a, I, after school, I wanted to travel, see the world, uh, came to came to Asia, uh, you know, just did the whole classic teach English, you know, travel sort of thing. Uh, came to Taiwan, loved it here. Actually, I wanted to go to Japan, but like I missed the deadline to apply by a day uh, um, uh, when I had the idea. And then a friend of mine was from Taiwan, so I oh, that's cool. Thought I'd go back to graduate school, um, you know, something in the liberal arts, be a professor or something like that. Uh, I did go get back to graduate school six years later, but I was going to business school. And I had a, you know, a wife and a kid in tow. And and from there, this went to Apple, then then Microsoft, and all along, even from kind of junior high school on, I'd always been following technology. And particularly, the, even from that point on, like the business side, I just thought it was very interesting going through the dot-com era, the bubble, all that sort of thing. And um, it, I guess my background, my family doesn't have really a business background at all. Uh, it never really occurred to me to go into the business side of things. But it turned out, uh, you know, uh, my wife deserves a lot of credit for helping me kind of open my eyes to that opportunity. And then I got to to graduate school and it, it, I mentioned the comparative advantage thing. I realized I thought these sort of concepts like comparative advantage, like game theory, like thinking about things as systems was naturally the way I thought. Like all this came very natural to me, naturally to me. And now I kind of had words and 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 cons and la- language to articulate what I was trying to say. And, you know, th- the idea of having a blog about this, I thought was was interesting. I mean, for one, just from a very practical perspective, we really enjoyed living in Taiwan. My wife wanted to come back, uh, and you know, there's not just not a lot of jobs, expat jobs in Taiwan anymore. A lot of those yeah. kind of shifted to to China um, in particular. And so I like, well, I, I could do a blog like John Gruber or something like that. Uh, but the the it actually it wasn't a it wasn't just a a 
went to be great sort of thing. Like I actually thought there was a hole in the market in that there's a ton of blogs, a ton of people about technology, but very few people writing about it from a business perspective, from a strategic perspective. Everyone's writing about it from a product perspective. And the problem is, is, is uh, like I'm no product expert. There's lots of product experts out there, but I felt there was a real hole in the market in understanding the business side of stuff. So when I started Strategy, it was not just a a spur of the moment. I'm going to start a blog sort of thing. I've done that plenty in my past. I actually had a pretty specific, and here's me kind of contradicting myself, but I had kind of a five-year sort of plan where I think there's a, a hole in the market here. This is how I want to address it. And wouldn't it be great if in like four or five years it was self-sustainable and I could, you know, maybe go back to Taiwan and do something. And I presumed I'd be working in the meantime. Well, I mean, I think you saw a hole and you said, well, let me give this a shot. I don't think you you had your your mindset that that's the only thing you're going to do if that you know you had i'm sure you had back uh, I, I was i was pretty i was i mean i was pretty oh, really uh, yeah i mean when, <laughs> i started at the second when i was I already knew i was leaving microsoft um and like my job search was guided by finding a job that let me do the blog as well which is actually a little difficult because the blog being a sort of public sort of thing um, so after Microsoft, I actually had one more intervening job, which was at WordPress or, or uh, automatic, I should say, the, the proprietors of WordPress.com, which obviously turned out to be a, a good fit because, you know, you can't really complain about your employee having a, a, a blog, to say the least. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and I do I do run a WordPress. Um, but but no, I mean, I was pretty like I was pretty focused on it. It wasn't just a uh, a, a hobby. So it, like and I had I had a goal and I thought an idea of how I would monetize it. Um, some of the details got changed as I went through it, but no, I was pretty, um, I was pretty explicit in what I was doing. And it turned out that I was right about there being a hole in the market. Uh, I was wrong about how long it would take, uh, after about a year of writing the blog in my spare time, I went independent in, in 2014 and it's been doing well and growing ever since. So we're coming up on the, the three year anniversary of the blog, will be later this month and the two year anniversary of me doing it full time will be next month. Oh, really? Oh, that's congratulations. I didn't realize it was that short. I thought it'd been longer. Yeah, no, I mean, like, like I, yeah, like I said, it, 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 it took off, you know, faster than I, I anticipated. Um, you know, the, the reality is, is the internet is, is such a massive market. I mean, yeah. like there are, at least well over a billion people that are a potential audience for, for my blog, which is kind of amazing when you think about it. And so, you know, you're talking about getting just a tiny fraction of the addressable market. And that's actually turns out to be a pretty substantial number of people. Yeah. But I mean, you really do have an interesting angle to all this stuff. Um, and I'll admit that I am definitely more of a product guy. And I mean, really what I am is a, a fake productivity guy. Cause I like to talk about, how to make this stuff work for you. And cause I have a day job and I'm always trying to make it work for myself. That's it was self-interest that got me started in this gig. Um, I'm not as interested in the business and, and quite often it's baffling to me, but you just have a very good way of explaining things. Um, and, and your competition for so many years was these wall street analysts that every time I read one of them, I'm like, this guy really does not get it. it at least in terms of the Apple half of it, which I feel like I have a pretty good understanding of. And, um, it's just nice that you're there. Well, and, I, I, I appreciate it. And I think it's, um, 
you know, it, it, it's hard. And I think this is the less advantage of being independent. I mean, they're, they're writing from a certain perspective. They're, their primary focus is the performance of the stock over the next six to nine months, basically. Yeah. Um, and Short whereas game. I have the luxury of not being a stock analyst, uh, even though that would arguably be more uh, lucrative if I were to get into stock, you know, I mean, one one reasons why I think I'm able to make money uh, and the way I make money is um, you can go to striker.com. You can read, I, I usually do one free article a week, but then I do three additional articles uh, that are pay only. And so that's $10 a month, $100 a year. If I was doing stock picking, I could raise that price probably significantly. But the fact that what I do write does have an impact on how people make money uh, whether those people be in Silicon Valley. I have a lot of people who work in tech companies. Like I said, it's, they, they know product inside and out, but maybe they don't have as much of a business background. So th- I'm very valuable to them. I have you know a lot of people in the kind of sort of VC, but also a lot of people on Wall Street and uh, a lot of subscribers. And, and like what I write actually impacts their ability to make money. And so that's certainly something that is an advantage for me in doing making a living off of, off of doing this. Uh, but... But yeah, it, it, I mean, Apple is Apple was was a great. I I was fortunate. There's a couple things that are fortunate as far as timing for me. When okay. I started the blog, um, that was in the middle of the Apple is doomed, Samsung is going to be dominant sort of time period, and that was so transparently ridiculous to me that it provided a lot of fodder for articles. Um, I think one of my most cited early ones was basically right at the peak of that, saying that Samsung is screwed. Uh, you know, they're going to be in big trouble. And that obviously turned out to be the case. Um, so that was good to get started. And, uh, you know, so actually John Gruber does, you know, he w- gave a really glowing review and linked to me about a month in. Um, and that, that helped, you know, get off the ground a lot. So, you know, I, I've, I've mentioned that before, but I, I definitely owe him a lot of credit and thanks for that. So, and then um, the, okay. well, the other thing with the company that's working for is Microsoft. I left Microsoft on June 30th. Uh, 2013, and two days later, uh, Steve Ballmer announced this big reorganization, and I I wrote like three articles about that that were that were very widely spread, and then they bought Nokia, and I wrote and I wrote an article about that that was like you know the the this acquisition makes no sense that one was everywhere, and then he quit, um, and they got a new CEO, so they gave me like a, a nice solid six months of great. <laughs> Great yeah. subject matter for me to it's write about. It's like the political elections for the late night comedians, <laughs> right, right? No, exactly. And, and, <laughs> and I was coming out of Microsoft. I'd been in the middle. I was working on Windows. I'd been, you know, I was just a peon, but I, I had, I was in a position where I was able to get, um, I think, some really valuable insight on their thinking. But more importantly, you know, just understanding how big companies work and how culture affects big companies and and in decision making and the way you see the world and. That being so fresh, uh, I think really gave me a unique perspective on all the changes that were happening there. And um, it's, you know, it's been gratifying to see how Microsoft has shifted. I mean, you know, not to toot my horn, but really very much in the things that I call for 2013, that's what they've done. And it's been great to see them be so successful doing that. And I'm actually a a big admirer of Sachin Nadella. I think he's done a great job. And, uh, and yeah, they're they're um, I think they're doing great. So, but well, we're, I, we're, I'm now using we're, their we're, apps we're all the time of, now on the iPad without even like 
twisting my nose up. Yeah, hey. no, I actually, I, I just switched Office 365 from Google Docs, actually, but we can talk about that probably later later in the show. And that's actually one of the points I want to make is in addition to being the smart guy that you are and what you're doing, you are doing tons of research, writing, you're running a, a small business, the subscription service, and you're living in Taiwan and running this business with largely many, many U.S. contacts. And I don't even know how you're doing all this stuff. So that's why we got you in here today is we want to talk to you about how you're pulling all this off, Ben. And, um, and at the end of the show, we're going to, we're going to, um, even though it's, it's out of our, um, our, um, our usual our order wheelhouse. Yeah. Well, I was going to say I had a different word, but I think I might get in trouble if I use it. Um, but the, uh, we can go to, I think we want to talk about the market. what the word bit. is, you know, <laughs> we might lose our clean tag if David says what the word is. Uh, yeah, okay. we better not. That, yeah, that gets me in trouble sometimes. I do get in trouble. But anyway, so let's talk about that. Um, uh, you want to do the first ad spot before we get into to Ben's gear? Yeah, let's do that. Okay. Well, I want to talk about our friends over at Market Circle and their application, Daylight. You know, since Daylight started sponsoring the show, we've been hearing from all sorts of listeners that have small businesses powered by Daylight. Daylight is a small business Swiss army knife. That's, that's my phrase. I don't know. It just, it does everything. It manages contacts and it it doesn't just manage contacts, but it allows you to manage the relationships between contacts, which can be really key when you're running a small business. Um, Even allows you to run sales opportunities and links to those contacts. And then you also have the ability to track tasks, projects, sales opportunities. I mean, all this stuff happens right in the application it's a native app that works uh, with uh, the native app uh, on the, it works with native apps on the Mac. So you've got Apple mail or calendar. You can just use them and it ties right in uh, and everything talks to each other. So the data is just managed. It's a really great way to conquer all those challenges that come with running a small business. And like I said, we've had people that were attorneys and doctors and manufacturers. We just had several people write in that say how much they love it since they started sponsoring the show. It's multi-platform, so you can get it on your Mac and iOS, and it downloads the data so you can work with your data from anywhere. You know, a lot of these cloud service things, you've got to be connected to the internet or you lose everything. That's not a problem. And also because it's made by people who love the Mac and iOS, it doesn't have a silly web interface. It's a real app. Um, it's, they've been around a long time. They continue to refine it. Now they've got a way to store your data for you. If you want, you can have them actually be the cloud host of your data, which a lot of people are doing. But if you want to store it yourself and host your own data, they've got offline data for you to manage yourself. Very flexible and productive, and it can grow with the size of your business. Now, once you go to marketcircle.com and you can find out about all their products, but Daylight's one we're talking about today. It's spelled D-A-Y-L-I-T-E, marketcircle.com slash daylight. You can learn a lot more. But you know the real takeaway here is if you've got you know more than one person in your small business and you're a Mac shop or an Iowa shop, there is a way that you can manage this stuff in a way that's uh, productive, it's beautiful, and reliable, and it's called Daylight. So go check it out, and thanks, Daylight, for sponsoring the Mac Power Users. So Ben, as David alluded to before the break, you were, and you mentioned, you know, you are living and working in Taiwan, but I would imagine that a lot of the business that you do day to day um, is with people who are, are based in the States. How, how does that work, you know, with, with one of the big time shifts and how is technology helping you get over that? Well, I mean, the, the, the impact of, of technology on my being able to do what I do 
can't be overstated. I mean, just even the 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 ease of living here. I uh, I think uh, the having things like Skype, which we're talking on, is is made a big difference in just being able to stay in contact. And now with things like Twitter and and Facebook and and similar services, I don't feel uh, disconnected um, by any means. In fact, I think there's actually a real advantage to living here. In for, for a few reasons. I mean, one, uh, I'm not in Silicon Valley, which I think is is helpful by not be kind of being in the bubble. Uh, two, you know, being in Asia, seeing what's going on here. You know, I think the way that mobile is is important here is, is much more profound than I think it is in the U.S. Um, but then three, uh, you know, I, I work during the day. And then I send out my my newsletter, you know, around 7 p.m. or so, and people wake up and it's in their inboxes. So the times that actually works from that perspective. Certainly coordinating can be a problem. I usually do, excuse me, meetings in the mornings, like time, like now it's uh, 9, 24 a.m. Yeah, and it's uh, 8 p.m. Eastern as we're recording this. So, yeah, 8 p.m. Right. And five, you know, five something on the, on the West Coast. And so actually it's easier right now because uh, the – the time zones line up uh, during the summer. Uh, there's no daylight savings time here, but obviously there is in the States. And then the times get stretched a little bit more, like it'd be 9.30 p.m. now on the East Coast. So the East Coast is a little more difficult to schedule stuff in general. Uh, but the West Coast is, is actually pretty easy. Most of my morning uh, lines up with the West Coast, you know, afternoon, uh, early evening. And so I'm usually able to schedule, you know, th- calls as needed then i mean that's when i record exponent for example you know it's evening and evening and my co-host james is is in palo alto it's evening there uh you know or late morning here so it, it it's it's not as bad as it would seem that said about once a month there's like a time zone screw up so that's just <laughs> now, I was gonna say, when you schedule like a meeting and you guys are this far apart like I, I mean, I, on a much smaller scale, I deal with a lot of people in the East Coast and occasionally people in Asia, and I always try to tailor my invites to their time. You know, I'll say, you know, let, can we talk at you know one p.m. EST? Um, but the, um, how do you deal? I mean, that you're doing the, with this on a much bigger scale. Yeah, I, I just, I just deal. I mean, the the fact of the matter is, most people it doesn't even occur to most people. So I'll just say, you know, let's let's talk at at five p.m. Um, like, okay, that's fine. It doesn't even occur to them that I'm referring to 9 a.m. my time, but I'm just used to that. Like I just do. And the, it's the next the, day, right? On your time. I, I believe. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. That's, that's usually where I, if, if there is a time zone screw up, that's often where it happens is I forget to adjust for the day. So I'll say, uh, I'll get the time right. So like, oh, it's so Tuesday at 5 p.m. And I'm thinking, uh, Tuesday morning, my time. So I mean Monday, their time. And so when and if there's a screw up, that's usually that's usually if I make a mistake, that's usually when I make a mistake is getting the t- the days wrong. Um, do you use the, calendar apps to like schedule the appointments? Like do you send invites or do you just leave it up to them? Uh, I usually ask them to send me an invite. And the reason I do that is uh, that way uh I feel that's a easier way to make sure that the, that they got the time right. Mm. Um, you know, it, because I you never uh, yeah, theoretically calendar app should handle this correctly. You could set the time zone in the invite, um, but you never know what's going to happen on their end. So I find it easier for them to send it to me, and I can make sure that you know it's coming through correctly in my I'm handling it. it just because I'm it is more just I'm more cognizant of the issue. 
of the potential for there being a screw up. And so I'll be more careful to check. Whereas you send to someone else and just click, okay, accept. And they'll never actually check to make sure that lined up. But just because I know this is a potential problem, yeah. uh, I, I usually always ask them to send me an invite. Makes sense. The, um, and then the telephone, is that all internet-based telephone stuff or is it Skype or? Yeah. So, I mean, the, the telephone thing's interesting. I mean, I don't, I, I, well, in part, I barely talk on the telephone at all anymore now. Um, you know, I think like most people and, uh, so messaging is a lot of it, but which we can get to the messaging part, part in a second. But so the way I do telephoning is I have a Google voice number. Um, and that Google voice number, uh, four words. So it's a little complicated, but that Google voice. So the problem with Google voice is Google Voice isn't in most countries. Uh, Skype has much broad, broader coverage. Yeah. Uh, and so I have a Skype in number so people can call a number to ring Skype. The problem is that the with Skype, uh, you can send out text messages, but you can't receive text messages from that number. And I want to, I want people to feel like it's like my goal with all this sort of stuff is for people not to have to deal with the fact that I'm abroad. Like yeah. I just want them to treat me like a normal person or almost uh, that they don't even realize it. Right. No, exactly. Exactly. It should be totally transparent. So what I do actually is I give out my Google voice number. And so people can text that number and it'll show up on the awful Google voice app. Um, but it will show up. Uh, and then that number actually forwards to a Skype number in the U.S., so I have a Skype in number, and then that Skype number will actually, I, I have both Skype in and a Skype out, so that Skype number will then ring my phone in Taiwan. So you can call my number, and it will ring my phone in Taiwan, and then what I do if I go to another country, whether it be the U.S., so the U.S., I maintain an account with AT&T, uh, a prepaid account, uh, I, mean, I go back enough that, that it stays active, and you can do things to stretch it out, like you can change it to like a... Um, uh, a, a longer term sort of thing so that sure. it stays active. And when I go to the U.S. or I go to any other country, I usually always get a local SIM card. And then you can just change the, the, the number that's rung by Skype to that new number. And so it's actually totally seamless. So wherever I'm at in the world, uh, people can dial that number and my phone will ring. It's a lot yeah. easier for mortals to to redirect phone numbers and do things like that. Now, uh, for, my, for my law practice, I have... Um, a Google voice number. And, and it's really for basically new clients and opposing counsel because my, my actual clients usually always have my cell number, but I've noticed recently that Google voice, it seems to me, I don't know if they've turned down the bandwidth or what, but it's, it's getting, it's, it's worse than it was a year ago. And, um, I don't know if that's just the slow death to a Google voice or, but I'm starting to think I may have to like go and actually pay somebody and, and get a VoIP vendor to handle that number for me. Google yeah. Voice, I'm, 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 I'm sorry. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. I was just, Google voice is a great service. I have a Google voice number as well. I, I wish Google would let me pay for it because it's one of those that I'm constantly thinking is on the bubble. You know, if Google's not that interested in it, is it going to go away? Um, yeah, my uh, brother and his fiance are both teachers and they both have Google voice numbers because they have to communicate with, you know, all the kids now, they, all they want to do is text and um, they teach um, online classes as well, kind of to supplement their, their teacher income. And that's how the kids communicate with them is they, they text them and, you know, they have to get in touch with parents and all. And, you know, when you're, teaching, you know, these kids and their parents sometimes, you don't want them to have your real number that's going to ring your your real phone or your real house just because things can get kind of weird. And I mean, it's a great service for those types of things, but I worry about it too. 
Yeah, the, the, it's the texting that's the real reason why it's irreplaceable. I, I'm not thrilled with it either. And if you, if you just look at the quality of the iOS app, which was finally updated for the first time in like three years, I think sometime last year, but it's still crap. Uh, but it's it's slightly less crap than it was before. Uh, I know I'm certainly worried about it as well. Uh, and I th- probably Google would prefer not to have to, to to uptake it, but they you know e- even they have have a glimmer of a heart sometimes when it comes to people who are dependent on it. Um, but there's not really a I haven't found a good service that has the texting. Uh, there's lots of alternatives if you just want to have the VoIP number. But if I do that, I could just use Skype. Uh, the, 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 what Google voice has is the, you can call or text that number. And as is, I have to jump through hoops as it is because they don't have a ring of phone. Like they don't, you can't, it doesn't support a, a Taiwanese phone number. So I have to use Skype. So actually when you go into Google voice and you pick the phones that you're connected to, one of the phones is actually my Skype numbers. Um, so it's not, um, it's not, but it, the fact that the texting part is seamless is 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 a key thing. That said, I I rarely use it anymore. Yeah, and, and I know because, that just from our friendship that you're a big Slack user as well. So you're kind of moving some of the stuff off to other places. Yeah, I mean, probably the biggest one is um, a big one for me has been iMessage. Uh, so you know, a lot of people I've contacts with. I mean, because iMessage will work across borders. The one thing I have to take care of, and this is. Uh, there's a few bugs with iMessage. And this is one that gets me a lot, but I have to make sure when I send a new message from iMessage, uh, you you can choose in settings, uh, both on the Mac and on the phone. To instead of sending it from your phone number, you send it be, as being from your email address. Yeah, and this is important because if it's from your phone number and you go to another country and you change you're your SIM card, yeah. no, you're not going to. You, well, you, yeah, it's either it's going to be it, it, you're just not going to get the message. It disappears oh. in the ether. The okay. problem is uh, there's a bunch of bugs around this, one of which is Apple uh, doesn't handle you changing your number all the time very well. And I get signed out of stuff all the time, and then I reset it, and then it's reset to send from the new number and not being from the email address. And sometimes I, and so people will be like texting me for like a phone number in Japan or something. Um, and, uh, and there's just lots of bugs around this. I was talking to someone about this actually. He's like, yeah, well, the problem is no Apple employee changes their phone number because the company just pays because the company pays for your cell phone service. And so they go to another country and they don't, no one has this experience, Yeah, which is irritating and probably true. Uh, but, but iMessage is the way I communicate with a lot of people. And frankly, uh, um, I broke my arm at the end of last year and I actually really wanted to use Android. I, I picked up a Nexus uh, in part because I try to use, you know, I try to use Android every, you know, now and then just to make sure I'm up to date on the platform. And, and you know, th- again, I don't write about it from a product perspective, so I'm not that that worried about it. That doesn't really impact how I write about it, but it's still a good thing to, to, to be. And frankly, the biggest pain in the neck of, of switching it was iMessage. I mean, knowing that, knowing that, um, you know, that wasn't available. Yeah. Uh, by the way, the reason I want to switch is because Google's voice recognition is f- approximately 578,000 times better than Apple's is. <laughs> yeah, we're seeing that. We're seeing that both with uh, Google and we're seeing that with the uh, the Echo, the Amazon Alexa Echo project. The Siri's got a lot of catching up to do. 
Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, it's, I, I have an echo as well. It, it's not really functional because it's very, it doesn't do it. You can't check the weather and stuff because it doesn't work internationally. Um, you can still do things like set timers and add stuff to your list and things like that, but it does seem to work very well. It's hard to know, you know, cause you don't, you're not pushing it as much as you are maybe the other ones, but I, I mean, when I had a, the broken arm I actually was writing articles with dictation um, and I didn't even feel the need to try things like Dragon Dictate or whatever, simply because the Google, uh, they, they have in Google Docs now where you can use the, the, the Google processing, uh, was so good uh, and so accurate that, um, yeah, I mean, it certainly wasn't ideal. It didn't fit my writing style at all, but it was, it was good enough to, to get my work done. Yeah, the, the um, Dragon Anywhere, the new application on iOS from Nuance, is it's expensive. You got to pay per month for it, but it, it it again is significantly better than Siri dictation, and for for a couple of reasons that are just limitations that Apple's put on Siri. You know the thing with Siri, where after forty seconds, I finally timed it. It's forty seconds when it just stops. So you're like halfway through a sentence and it just stops, and then and then if you start dictating again, it capitalizes the middle of the sentence. If you, does that make sense? You know, and yeah, and, and, the, the, and there's this weird thing on iOS. Sometimes you'll be dictating and it will, it will type out everything you said and they'll just suddenly erase it all. It's well, like, and then it comes I, back. I know you ha- no, it, but it doesn't always come back. Sometimes it's just gone. Oh, well, usually for it me is, it comes back as something that's not, not originally what I intended. <laughs> it's like, no, you know, I'm going to have a drink and just change this around for you. I don't like the way you're writing it. <laughs> yeah. Not, I mean, it's it, it, the, the, I mean, and this is a real problem for, for Apple in the long run, because the issue, like the difference between Siri and Google voice is, uh, I would argue even starker than the difference between using an iPhone and using an Android device. I mean, and this is a problem for an app for a company that predicates its advantage on having a sort of superior user experience. The user experience of Siri relative to Google voice is, is poor. It's simply not as good. And the problem is that it's poor, not because Apple doesn't want, want it to be poor. Apple doesn't care. I mean, it's because, Apple just doesn't have the 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 data, the processing, the processes, the sort of people, the internal incentives, uh, the sort of company mindset to be great at cloud services broadly, and uh, and that's something that's going to be very hard to to change without changing the fundamental nature of the company. I mean, what makes the company so great at things like the iPhone, at physical products, is this sort of push for perfection and. Uh, in delivering a final product. The problem is there is no final product when it comes to the cloud. The cloud is all about setting up a process where you learn and you iterate continuously. And that's very much in contrast to the way Apple approaches product development for a physical product like the iPhone. And that's a very difficult tension to to resolve. And I'm not sure it can be resolved. And I'm, sure, I'm not sure, frankly, if we would want it to be resolved because we still want Apple to make great products yeah. Uh, it's a different and, and set of skills, really. It is. It is. It's a very different set of skills, and they're very orthogonal to each other. Like, it, it, like to be good at one is almost by definition to be good at another. I mean, it's not an accident that Android, from a user experience perspective, is not up to, you know, as good as an iPhone. It, it's the trade-off in the other direction. Google is is all about, you know, iterating, um, and that's the sort of what's valued in the company uh, and, and you know, Apple iterates, but it's iterating in from like a yearly, like very deliberate sort of perspective, not from a sort of 
self-healing, continually, you know, feedback constantly being incorporated sort of perspective, like it works with the cloud service. I am. I want to talk to you about having lived in Asia all this time. I think you have some insight about mobile that Westerners aren't seeing and frankly, just the way it's developing. Uh, I want to talk to you about that and also just get your idea, your thoughts as to whether Asia is kind of leading the way with this or whether the U or the U S or the West is going kind of differently with mobile. But before we do that, why don't we take a minute to talk about our second sponsor? Yeah, and our second sponsor for this episode is Squarespace. And I think Squarespace is one of the simplest ways for anyone to create a great website, whether you just need a beautiful landing page, you need a full-blown website, or you need an online store. You can start building your website today over at squarespace.com. And if you enter the offer code MPU at checkout, you'll get 10% off your first purchase. What Squarespace gives you is easy-to-use templates that helps you capture every detail of what drives you and build that into your website, because if it's worth your effort, it's worth sharing with the rest of the world. Squarespace puts all the power you need into your hands, and they take away all of the pain points. You don't have to worry about hosting or scaling or what to do if you get stuck. Uh, They can help you build a site that looks professionally designed, regardless of your skill level, with no coding required. You'll be able to make your website look and feel exactly the way that you want. They have state-of-the-art technology to power your site and to ensure stability and security, and they are trusted by millions of people and some of the most respected brands around the world. Their templates are stunning to look at, and they all feature responsive design, which means your site's going to look great whether you're on an iPhone, whether you're on a tablet, whether you're on a Mac, or even if you're on one of those Android devices. And um, you can get started with all of these features. Uh, and if you run into any trouble, don't worry about it because they have 24-7 live chat and email support with teams located across the world in New York, Dublin, and Portland who are there to help you. Um, Squarespace even now has a commerce platform, which means anyone can add a store to their Squarespace site and you don't have to worry about it. So if you want to start small and just maybe have a donate button or something like that on your site, they're going to include that in the base level package. But then if you actually want to start selling on your site, um, you can bump up into the one of the higher level Squarespace packages, um, and they'll they'll take care of processing credit card payments and helping you set up your store. Um, it's really easy. And if you've got a really simple site, or if you've got something that's coming soon, you can build a great looking single page website. They call it the Squarespace cover page. I mean, all of this is built on top of rock solid fast hosting and so much more. Um, if you want to stretch Squarespace even further, you should definitely check out the development platform, which lets you dig in and tinker to your Squarespace site to your heart's content. And if you sign up for a year, you'll even get a free domain name allowing you to choose exactly how you want what you want your site to be called. Uh, Squarespace Squarespace plans start at just $8 a month and you can start a free trial today with no credit card required. Uh, Just start building your website by going to squarespace.com and when you decide to sign up for Squarespace, make sure you use the offer code MPU to get 10% off your first purchase and show your support for Mac Power users. So again, head over to squarespace.com slash MPU. Use the offer code MPU to get 10% off your first purchase. And thanks so much to Squarespace for their support of this show and all of Relay FM. So Ben, when I when the iPhone Plus 6 Plus first released to the world, um, a lot of us here in the West had kind of like the Oprah favorite things head exploding moment with this thing. And we didn't know what to think of it and whether we liked it or not. And I really enjoyed reading your post at the time because the big phones have been a thing in Asia for a while. 
And frankly, kind of your take on it was, was I think kind of ahead of where the rest of us are on this stuff. Um, where do you see mobile technology in Asia now? Well, I think the big difference and thing to understand about about mobile here generally is well, there's a few different factors going on. The first and most important is that uh, even in a Taiwan, Taiwan is, is a is a relative is, is a pretty rich country. I think it's like 14th richest in the world or something like that, and has been very much ahead of the curve um, as far as adopting technology. So a lot of people did have. PCs here, but that, but not not to the extent as in the U.S. and certainly the vast majority of Asia, most people didn't have their own computers. So the their phone, their smartphone, was their first computer, and what that meant was the amount of uh, you know to use the jobs to be done by the phone was immediately sort of much greater and much more substantial. Uh, for the phone here than it was in the States. And in, in, you know, in the United States, there's still a lot of stuff that we instinctually do on a computer that most people would do on the phone. And I think you see more and more, I think you know your listeners can probably identify with this, more doing more and more things on their phone that they used to do on their computer. But it's it's been a gradual shift away from the PC and by PC, I mean Mac and, and, and Windows, just the PC broadly, towards the phone, whereas uh, in most parts of Asia, it was everything was immediately on the phone. So the phone was much more important and much more the center of people's computing existence much earlier than it was in the U.S. And I would argue is still to a greater degree than in the U.S., it's it's I characterize it is for here the smartphone was a leapfrog toward technology, and what I mean is peop, it became much more central here much more quickly because it was people's first computing device, whereas in the U.S. it's it's most people's second computing device, and so the amount of jobs that that people in the U.S. ask their phones to do is less than it is here, and so when you think about that, and when you think about those jobs, aren't just like calling people and texting, but also things like. Uh, you know, certainly being being a camera, uh, being a you know social networking, but also watching TV, lots of you know that sort of thing. Uh, and you add in the fact that urban areas in Asia generally are much denser. There's much more use of public transportation, whether that be buses, whether that be subways, all you know trains, all that sort of thing. Uh, where you know, again, the phone is a much more much, much better object to use, just the allure and the utility of having a bigger screen, of having more area to work at. Uh, and you also the fact that most people here carry bags, um, even men, uh, and, you know, it's just, you have a place to put it. Uh, the The market need and expectation and usage of a large phone was super obvious here. And it, it was obvious um Right from the get-go, as soon as I think, you know, Samsung was earlier this, um, you know, HTC quickly followed having these sort of big phones. And I think, frankly, Apple was caught by surprise. The thing to remember is Apple, you know, the I, I think Apple designed the iPhone 5 to be a response to this. But you remember Apple has like two-year lead times minimum. Yeah. So, you know, the iPhone 5 came out in 2012, which meant in 2010 they were thinking about it. But that was before Samsung really, I think, came out. I think the Galaxy, first Galaxy came out in 2010. Uh, and so Apple's like, okay, we'll make it a little bigger. 
Um, but the problem is by 2012, it was already obvious the iPhone 5 was too small, but it was too late. It didn't and go so, far enough. Yeah. Right. And so that was when they did, did the started designing the iPhone 6 was probably around the 2012 time frame. And uh, and then, you know, obviously they, they they jumped all the way in full, 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 full bore. And you see this explosion in sales. And uh, a huge portion of that is certainly in Asia in, in general. And there was a ton of pent up demand. There was a lot of people. That was really the last factor where, uh, you know, I think right now the iPhone position is very strong in part because I don't think most people even though it's presented in the press as, well, which has the better camera, which has the better, faster processor? Well, that's not how people make decisions. I think people, the way smartphone buying works now is it's first iPhone or not, and then you get into, if not, then you get into the details. And yeah. for some people, those details matter, but for most, they don't. Uh, but the the last decision factor that mattered more than iPhone or not was big screen or not. And f- the big screen mattered more than having an iPhone or whatever for a lot of people. And once Apple kind of uh, fixed that, they got, a you know, not just people upgrading, but a ton of new users and really, uh, you know, closed down the one big advantage that, you know, Samsung at all, all, all had, relatively speaking. Yeah, you know, where, I, I'm all for, go ahead, Katie. I was going to ask, where do tablets fit into this? Are they just not nearly as popular? So it you don't have an iPhone and a tablet, so it's not necessarily as important. So it's I'm sorry. So it's more important that the device that you have be that one larger device. Yeah, I think that. I mean, tablets add uh, add complexity, I, and I think that again, this is a this is a uh, I think more of a the tablet makes more sense in the U.S. context where. You have the big house, and you have your your computer in in the in the den or in the office, and you have your tablet on the couch and your phone in your pocket when you go outside. Uh, you know, you live you live here, and you're in much smaller housing, much more dense. You're much more, uh, you know, your personal space is much less. And I think just having a smartphone that's always with you on your body is just something that makes lots of sense from a logistical perspective, makes lots of sense from a practical perspective, like to balance another device isn't really worth, isn't really worth the trade off of, of having to, 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 to deal with that, frankly. And, uh, you know, the, especially with once the phone was big, um, the real kind of any reason you might consider a tablet was, was, was gone now. Yeah. Once the phone got big enough that it's, it's essentially a small tablet. Right. And, and even before then, I mean, I think that, uh, again, I think for a lot of people, they, the, the, uh, it was so compelling to have the one device that people weren't getting an iPhone and an iPad. They were just getting a, a, a big, a big Samsung. And then when the iPhone came out, then they got a big iPhone. And, you know, I think tablet, tablets really, there are tablets here. Uh, there are iPads, you know, around, but I think they're even less of a thing here than they are than they are in the u.s um, so when you say that the phones are doing more jobs i mean because in my world it's like writing there, there's so many research there's a lot of stuff i do that the phone really is not very good at i mean what types of other jobs are phones doing you know predominantly in asia well i, I mean i when it comes to uh say writing whether it i mean yeah. there used to 
blog. There used to be a, a bit of a blog, a blog sort of thing going on here. Now it's almost all about Facebook, uh, and it's all done on the phone. Even you know, posting photos, editing photos. Like the photos are are a huge thing. I mean, obviously, selfies were really a big thing here before they were before they were in the U.S. And yeah, um, that continues to be the case. And instant Instagram is very very popular. Um, I remember all- my, my wife is Filipino and, uh, we'd have these relatives come visit and stay with us from the Philippines and they, they were doing all these, and this was flip phone days. I mean, this is, I think before the iPhone even existed and they were always taking pictures of themselves with these little flip phones and these, you know, these terrible, um, this terrible resolution cameras. And I couldn't understand what they were doing, you know, yep. and over the Philippines, it was a big deal way before it was here. Totally, totally. And it's interesting because this is another area where I think Apple was behind and they didn't get it in part. I mean, one of Apple's, you know, Apple is designing California and all their product people are kind of in the same. They have offices around the world, but they're all in Cupertino. And there's things you do miss with that. And I think this is another example, like this selfie thing has been a big deal for a long time. If the original iPhone didn't even have a front camera and for a long time, the front camera was really poor. And you notice over the last couple of years, like the the quality of the front camera has been improving even faster than the quality of the back camera. And for a good reason, it's used, I bet it's used more on a lot of phones on this part of the world than the back camera is. Yeah. And there's whole workflows. I mean, the, you, you, the editing apps and like people will do a selfie and it goes to like 47 different apps and they attach different things. And it's all iPhone centric. And and really, I think what what the, the number, one of the biggest mistakes that analysts make generally when thinking about technology is they get too caught up is they undervalue convenience and how important that is to the way normal people use technology and the convenience of having you taking your photo on your phone, having it on your phone, going through this workflow, going through it, typing a note, uh, writing about like, well, you know, we'll be on vacation. My, every time I'm on vacation, my wife does a big Facebook post every day with a bunch of photos and describing what we did that day. And I, I kind of like, you know, mention it to her like, you know, man, you're doing like, you're writing these massively long posts basically on your phone. She's like, yeah, it's like, yeah, I was kind of thinking about that. It's kind of ridiculous. It'd be so much faster on, on, on a computer, but the actual act of like going on the computer and doing it, like there's so much, even if in an absolute amount, it's not that much work. The friction of changing state and changing where you're at yeah. is, is a lot and it's significant. And I think it's, it's easy to forget about that when you think about products. And again, this is where the leapfrog aspect is super important. If the phone, if the phone was your first device, you you don't really think about doing it somewhere else. Whereas yeah. if the PC was your first device, like you already have your habits on the PC yes. and and you come to a phone with a PC mindset. And so of course to you, the phone will never be as good. Um, but you know, to someone who started on the phone, uh, it, it's different. Yeah, I have a theory on that because I, I feel like because I'm done with an iPad Pro and I've really been using it a lot lately. I've been trying to take it with me and just to see my friction points. And I always notice the things I can do faster on my Mac. And I almost never notice the things that I'm actually doing faster with the iPad Pro. Yeah, and, and, so, and so much of it's just not about speed speed either. I mean, it's it's about the perception of speed, the perception of productivity and being in the flow. Um, and, uh, you know, I think that that's certainly, that's certainly the case. And there, there's, there's lots of, uh, um, it's certainly something that I am cognizant of with myself. I mean, I, I think I use my phone probably more than 
most people um, for for reading and and and, and stuff like that. And but I would uh, think some of that is just from exposure. I mean, you're over there where that's kind of the norm, so you do adopt some of it. I would think just because you're there. Yeah, I think that's part of it, and all the other aspects of you know more public transportation and and more walking and just having the phone with you certainly certainly applies. But there's also the fact that you know. I, I I don't want to get up from the couch and go to to to, to yeah. the PC or, um, so, uh, no, it, it, but it, yeah, more and more, you know, I will be sitting at my desk and and looking on my phone and reading on my phone and, um, I don't know, it's 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 funny how how those things change. Well, we uh, it, it is interesting to me because I feel like that in a lot of ways Asia has led the charge with the mobile, and and I'm very curious to see kind of that as a looking glass into our future. Although I'm not really sure it is because I think a lot of people here are very comfortable using two devices or three. I, I feel that way, you know, where everybody's trying to battle it out to say, "Are you this iPad? Are you Mac? Are you iPhone?" David just I mean, has I've, one of everything. Yeah, I mean, I'm lucky enough I can afford to have one of each and I use the appropriate device at the appropriate time. And, um, you know, everybody, I guess, has their uh, their own poison. And that's mine. Yeah, well, but, but again, you, you as you mentioned, you're fortunate to have all those devices. Um, two, you've already gone through the hard work of figuring out a workflow, of having it all work together. Um, the fact of the matter is... Uh, you know, there's there's a learning uh, learning curve is the right word, but there's a barrier to getting to that. And so you can you can see, yes, if I look at this rationally in the long run, figuring out what's best for an iPad, what's best for a Mac, what's best for a phone, and then properly allocating what I do to those different things is a great idea in theory. But that requires you to one do the work to set up your workflow both on the different devices and also to make sure you can sync stuff back and forth, which still isn't perfect. And so what about two, you now? Are you using... Well, well, just, well I think just two, there, there's the, yeah. you're embracing the cognitive load of having to decide every time you do something, which device should I do it on? Yeah. And for this is a big thing for me, I, and this is something that I sort of instinctually reject. I don't want to have to make unnecessary decisions. And, and I don't want to have to think every time, where should I be doing this or whatever? Uh, that's something that I find very tiring personally. Uh, I mean, it sounds like a stupid thing, but it's like, um, I mean, it's like the whole Steve Jobs, like wearing the same thing every day sort of thing. Like, I don't, I don't want to waste my thought cycles on figuring out where should I be doing this job? Yeah. Um, even if in the, even if theoretically I'm not being as efficient as I could be. Right. Yeah. Well, that, well, that's a different kind of efficiency. Yeah. That probably leads us into an interesting discussion of, you know, what are the tools that you're using to get your work done? What What is your current setup and, and what are your workflows for those things? But before we do, David, why don't we take a quick moment to talk about our next sponsor? Yes, I would like to. That's our friends over at Smile and PDF Pin. Now, I talked about how Daylight is a Swiss Army knife for small business. PDF pin is a Swiss army knife for handling PDFs. See, this is a show all about Swiss army knives apparently today, <laughs> but uh, so you can't uh, take this show with you on an airplane. Apparently. No, actually they would, they would take it away from you or you might have to hide it in the planter and then you can pick it up, you know, when you come back. Um, anyway, uh, so PDF pin really is just an amazing tool that allows you to deal with PDFs there. Everybody, no matter where you are in life, you're going to have these digital documents thrown at you. That's the way people manage documents these days. And, and frankly, it's so much easier than the old days where you had to, you know, kill a tree and print out paper and sign it and then lick a stamp. It's just nuts. But PDF pin pro brings a lot to the table. Um, it, 
can has all the standard tools like you can add signatures you can go in and edit text do you ever get like a pdf and it's just got a little like one word spelled wrong with pdf pen you can go fix that without having to regenerate the whole thing you can even make adjustments to images or and uh, one of my favorite features of this application is it does optical character recognition because when you get a, a a document you want the ability to scan it and to be able to search it and be able to to work with the words and pdf pen handles that for you it can even take a PDF document. I do this all the time. It makes other lawyers crazy because they send me a PDF thinking, oh, ha, now I have them. He can't change this document because I'm sending it to him as a PDF. Well, with PDF pen, it exports the document to Microsoft Word. I can track changes and send it back to him and they're foiled again. So, I mean, I can do all this with this great app made by Smile. Uh, you can even with PDF Pen Pro, you can create interactive, uh, you can build a table, you can set document per- permissions and even convert websites to multi-page PDFs. That's just the tip of the iceberg. This has been you know, in development many years. They're now in version seven. Uh, you can edit the OCR text layer now. Um, it's just amazing stuff. I, I, I chuckle listening to our friends over uh, on some of our other relay podcasts when they talk about bait stamping. They don't understand what it is. Well, uh, as a lawyer, I can tell you bait stamping is really useful if you do that kind of thing. PDF pen has got you covered on that as well. Um, so anyway, go check it out. You can learn more uh, from smilesoftware.com. Uh, PDF pen pro costs $124.95 and it features everything that PDF pen has, plus the ability to create interactive PDFs and all those other great tools I was talking about a minute ago. Uh, this is the solution for handling PDFs on your Mac. They've got a version for iOS too. So I was just in it earlier today on my iPad pro, Ben, I made the decision. I was going to do that job on the iPad pro had my pencil out using <laughs> highlighting and writing little annotations in the margin. Uh, I love the way you can just kind of get in there and write with the Apple pencil. Oh man, it's so great. Uh, these guys are on top of it. They are always keeping the software up to date as Apple changes things and taking advantage of the most recent features. It's a great company, and it's a great product. Go check out PDF Pin uh, from smilesoftware.com. Thank you, Smile, for all of your support. The time I did use the, I mean, I still use the iPad now primarily, uh, almost exclusively for doing the drawings I do on Stratechery. Um, I use uh, yeah. paper. Yeah. Uh, but the time I used the iPad the most was actually when I was in graduate school and putting all the readings on the iPad uh, and yeah, then taking notes there, uh, not having to carry around like these huge printouts. Like I, I would, I would, I'd have to still back then. You still had to buy the packets, but then I would literally scan them all in. Yeah, and then uh, OCR that was the them iPad. probably. Yeah, yeah, it was back when the the iPad first came out, um, and and that, it was it made it made a big difference. I was really the first one to do that. I mean, so I, I'm no I'm no I'm no productivity luddite uh, <laughs> by, by any means. Um, <laughs> Yeah, I admired that. I knew as soon as I saw when I first started reading your blog from the beginning, you had these great little hand drawn animations where you would do a chart or something. And um, it it was it's kind of a brand for you. I mean, it's just kind of nice that you can say, hey, this guy made this himself and and you make your points very cleanly with that stuff. I like the way you do that. That workflow where you take a PDF and, you know, the ad spots over, but, you know, I do use PDF pin for this part um, where you take a PDF and you scan it into OCR. And then I put on the iPad Pro and then using split screen, I can sw- I can swing like a website in or whatever I need that, to compare it to. Or even better, I use um, uh, Dragon Anywhere, which I was talking about earlier. So 
I'll have two thirds of the screen for the PDF and one third of the screen for dictation. And I'll go through with my pencil and mark it up and then I'll just dictate my thoughts into dragon, which does a better job than Siri. And man, that, that workflow is better than anyone I've ever had for managing documents in a long time. Oh, totally. No, I, I, I think that was where, yeah, again, that was for, for sure for me where the iPad really shined was, was specific documents. Um, I find, um, you know, maybe theoretically I could get there for, for web pages now, which is what most of my reading is. But, um, but yeah, for me, the, um, uh, it just, it hasn't, hasn't, hasn't worked as well. Katie loves the P, the uh, iPad pro so much. She's going to get two of them and duct tape them in the middle. So you can fold them like a book, right? Isn't that what you're going to do, Katie? Yes, that is exactly what I'm going to do. Yeah. So you, you get two of them, you could mount them on your desk and get an external keyboard and mouse and, um, you'll be, uh, you'll, you'll, you'll have a, you'll, you'll recreate the PC. Yeah. I've, I've already, <laughs> I've already picked up the duct tape. Excellent. Excellent. Artisanal. Yeah. I was, tape. I was going to get uh, colored duct tape. You can buy that. There now. You go. Yeah. Yeah. Johnny would only approve colored duct tape. Okay. So before we, we get to, we're f- going to talk about what, what gear you're using though. Yeah. Let's do that. So you got the Palm pilot, the, um, windows 98 what else you got going <laughs> well it's funny there's actually it is funny when i started the um uh when i started stratechery uh at the time i was uh moving you know i had my i had a mac that i had for several years it was getting pretty old is when i had in graduate school uh i also had a windows pc from microsoft because i was at, i was at microsoft and i had a you know thinkpad from there which i i love thinkpads by the way do you, do you uh, get so in trouble there if you walk around with an iphone i just i've always wondered so now right now everyone at, <clears throat> so when the iphone first came out everyone at microsoft had iphones and then obviously when the windows phone came out there's a big push to get that but a lot of people still hold on to iphones so i i actually did as well and there were quite a few people that had them but there was still there's kind of pressure to get a windows phone but now that windows microsoft has shifted you know, correctly to a, you know, we're a services platform that works, you know, works just as well with iPhone as we do with anything else. Uh, by all accounts, everyone has iPhones again. <laughs> so uh, I think the vast majority of actually mobile devices at Microsoft now are iPhones. Um, so it's not, not, not strange at all. Um, like, don't quote me. I mean, you can, quote yeah, me, I, know. I, mean, this, I, I'm just I, I have no data yeah. on that, but yeah. uh, the, uh, and so, and I also had a Chromebook at the time, and I am a huge Chromebook fan. Actually, I think it's, uh, and again, a big part of it is really the cognitive load aspect. A, a, a Chromebook is, a Chromebook is uh, to me much more like an iPad than it is a a Mac or a PC, in that it just works. Like there's no, and you don't have there's no updates, there's no bubbles coming. Like the, the way the, the the OS 10 gives me update bubbles and crap constantly it just drives me up the up the up the wall um there's there's just there's no cognitive load to using a chromebook especially if you do there's a couple tricks you can do to basically make uh web pages feel like they're their own apps like you can set like you you can basically bookmark a a a page into the taskbar and then have it open as a as a as an individual window, not it, and so it's, it's not a tab in a browser. So using using a Chromebook is very different than using Chrome on a Mac, uh, in that it feels much like there's different applications. And I'm I'm a big fan of it. And actually, when I started Stratechery, I actually uh, at the time was using a Chromebook um, almost exclusively. And so for probably the first you know year or so, the vast majority of posts were 
were written on a Chromebook, um, a Pixel specifically, which has an amazing keyboard. Uh, and then I had the iPad for for the drawings. And that in part impacted my workflow that I even use today, even though I do most of my work on a Mac. And, and, I, and, and, uh, and that is I'm definitely very biased in favor of uh, cloud-based uh cloud-based solutions. So on one hand, there's things that I do that have to be in the cloud. So, I mean, I post to WordPress. I, I use the WordPress interface. Um, I have MailChimp for, for sending mail. I have forum software. I have things like Stripe and, and Memberful, like my membership management. And all these are all web apps. Uh, so a, a something that I do use a lot is, um, shoot, the name is escaping me now. Uh, what's, what's the... Uh, uh, I was thinking about this before I just had this up because I always forget the name. Uh, it, it, it's basically a an app that lets you create it lets you create apps that are basically web pages. Um, oh oh yeah, it's the one that basically makes a specific browser app. Fluid. It's called Fluid. Yeah, yeah. 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 It's like a single single site browser is what it what it is. But basically, yeah. a lot of people so, use that for Gmail, for instance. Yeah, and so for all my for all those things, so I have I have I have a. Uh, one for WordPress, I have one for my form, I have one for MailChimp, I have one for Memberful, I have one for Stripe. They're, they're basic in that I give them their own icon. And I don't like ser- searching around for tabs and finding out where stuff is. Like So sites that I use regularly, I use Fluid to have them be their own site. But I also do my writing in a web app. I use um, a site called, or a, an app called Draft. Uh, it's draftin.com. And it's, it's, I mean, I can't speak of it more highly. It's basically a text editor online. But it's it's for writing. It's not for like code or something like that. It also has an amazing transcription ability where you can upload a file or you can just in, insert a YouTube file or something like that. And then it has keyboard shortcuts to start and stop the recording. And then you can tr- transcribe and it works really, really well. I actually use that quite a okay, bit. Okay, wait a second. You have to explain that one to me. So I could record something on my phone and just upload it to them? You could. I mean, I, I use it mostly on the Mac, but it does work on the phone. Um but yeah, you you can do new document or you can do new transcription. And once you do new transcription, uh, you can either you can either implant a URL from Vimeo, YouTube, uh, or just a, a, an MP3 or MP4 file online somewhere, or you can upload an MP3 or an MP4 or an AAC. And it 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 and basically there's a media player, and then you can there's shortcuts to. Uh, you can set an interval. I usually set about seven seconds, and then it will just loop that seven seconds until you type the shortcut to go to the next seven seconds. And uh, just keeps I misunderstood through. you for a sec. There, I was thinking they were doing it for you. I'm oh like, no, 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 no! It's for you to transcribe yourself. Um, yeah. But yeah, if you that, have to do it yourself, not interested. No, that's okay. I, I just well, about just. I mean, just if have I have something there. substantial, I would hire someone to do the transcription. Sure, but, sure. But like, I mean, last week I did an interview with um, uh, Patrick Carlson, CEO of Stripe, and it's a fifteen-minute interview. Um, and I was, you know, I didn't have time to get someone to do it, yeah. but I was able to transcribe that 15 minute interview in, in, in less than an hour simply because this service is so like, it works so well for like, you can basically type continuously. Um, and, uh, and it, it works, uh, it works really well, but it, I mostly use it just for, just for typing. And I'm a big believer in, um, I know you kind of made a reference in the opposite direction in one of your ad reads, but I'm a big believer in cloud in the cloud and using software in the cloud, as opposed to on my Mac uh, for a few reasons. Uh, One is uh, it's, it it just feels safer to me in that the way it's saved constantly 
Uh, you know, I had a period where I was having trouble with my Mac and it was crashing all the time. Um, and like you never lose anything because it's, al- it's always saved. It's accessible from anywhere. I mean, I like the idea that anything can happen to – and I've I've been this way for a while in part because I, I was very early on Dropbox when Dropbox first came out like way back in 2008, 2009. Yeah. And I've always had all my stuff there. But the idea that if something happens on my computer – I could literally walk into a store, buy another computer, and be up and running in 30 minutes. Um, and that's even more the case with with most of my stuff where I can just go – I could be, go to an internet cafe or I could go to wherever and immediately be productive and get the stuff done that I need to do. And I'm not, I'm not dependent on any one device. Like the more stuff that's in the cloud, I think I, the, the, the better I feel about stuff. The one exception is obviously there's occasional places where it doesn't work. I mean, now more and more flights have Wi-Fi, including Trans-Pacific flights, so that's even less of an issue now. But, I mean, I will open up an actual text editor and write in there if the connection's, you know, yeah, See, shaky. I don't like that. I, I, for me, I, I'm all for cloud storage of files, so you get those benefits. But I like native apps. I just feel like they're usually in better, they usually work better, they've usually got better features, and I find native apps to, frankly, be more stable than doing it in a web browser where, you know, who knows what's going to go wrong at some point. No, so totally. I, and so it's, it's so I, I'm, I, so I'm partially uh, agree with you. So for example, I hate web doing mail on the web. I always want to do mail in a native app. Um, and so that's, I mentioned that I use the switch office 365 in part. That is because uh, to have a shared mailbox. So if you have like an assistant or someone that's checking a, a shared mailbox, G uh, Google apps only supports that online. You can't, you can't have a shared mailbox that you can access offline. And so even though it entails me using Outlook, which has its own issues, I'm not a, a huge fan of, I, I prefer MailMate personally, but I would rather, like it's so important to me to be able to do my email from an actual app and not from a web app that uh, I actually switched email providers completely um, yeah. for, for that reason alone. So I agree with you in part, but for the for, for just writing, for just writing stuff, uh, uh, the I like having the cloud part is important. The other thing too, as I mentioned, I started I was partially on Windows, I was partially on a Chromebook, I was partially on a Mac, and I at the time I had a ton of stuff in Pages, for example, and that was before there's Pages Online. Yeah. There was no alternative, and it was very frustrating that there was stuff that I couldn't access. And that worked against my goal to have my stuff be available anywhere. My stuff wasn't available anywhere. My stuff was available anywhere if I had a Mac. And I, I didn't I'm, like having that that restriction on. No, me. I get that. I totally get that. But I'm, I'm curious because if, if you're going to write on the web, I mean, the usually the go to these days, or maybe it's not so much anymore. Was Google Docs for yeah. a, such a long time? Where I said Google Docs, that's the one they they sync it better. You know, it's not particularly pretty, but if you want to put words in place and collaborate and everything, you can do it. But you're using DraftIn.com. What, yeah, what? so I, I write. I mean, I write in Markdown. I don't write, so I don't write formatted text. Yeah. Um, I did use Google Docs. Uh, when I, as I mentioned, when I had the broken arm because I was using the transcription feature, but I don't want the formatting. I don't want all that sort of stuff. And there's there's some of that's in Google Docs. It will automatically format certain things. And like, uh, I drafting is it like when you open up if you open up a new draft window. Uh, it's totally blank. There's nothing on the screen, and you just type words, and that's exactly what I like and and want. There's no bells and whistles, uh, and and it had it, it's designed for Markdown. It will show you a preview if you want, 
I've not been using Markdown for so long. I don't really need to see a preview. Yeah. Um, I, I but, see it in it, my head now. It's <laughs> like, uh, <laughs> I can't it, it, no, it, it's like those old, like no, no distraction sort of things yeah. that were all the rage. Right. But it, but it just happens to be a web app, but it feels and operates for me completely like a native app, particularly cause I have it. I have a single site browser for draft in my single site browsers. I take out the whole bar. So there's no URL bar. There's nothing. It's just a window. That's all it is. And that's do you access it, it all on your phone or is it just, from your I Mac. do, I do, and it works on the phone if I if I need to. But um, I I mostly use it on my Mac. So the reason why I I use the Mac mostly for working now, and I actually don't use the Chromebook much anymore, is really the I would prefer to use a Chromebook honestly because I I just I find the cognitive load of using a Mac relative to like a Chromebook annoying. Um, but it's really about uh uh. A clipboard history. <laughs> I mean, to be honest, <laughs> really, because I, I I wink a lot and I quote a lot, particularly my daily updates, and so I will just have lots of stuff in my clipboard history, and I don't want to have to like be flipping back and forth to paste stuff. Like if I'm on, a, if like say I'm exerting an article, I will get the URL, I'll get the excerpt that I want, I'll get a couple other things, and then I'll go back to my draft document, and then they're all in my clipboard history, and I can just paste them in in the places that I want them. That that is um, a big deal. What what app do you use to store clipboard history? So I use uh uh one that's called uh I use copy and copy and paste copy apostrophe em and then paste. I used Launchbar for a long time. Uh, for my clipboard history sure. and I still use Launchbar for watching, but they had a bug for several years that uh, where occasionally like just it would stop working. And uh, I and many others were on them to fix this. They kept blaming Apple. I'm like, well, everyone else's clipboard history works fine except for yours. So I switched to copy and paste and apparently Launchbar has fixed it now. Uh, and I, I actually had switched to spotlight in the meantime. Uh, but uh, Spotlight had uh, in iOS uh, iOS nine or ten. There was a, an add on for for Spotlight that gave it much more functionality, much more like 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 you could add on different scripts. I can't remember what it was called Flashlight or something like that. Yeah, I remember hearing about that. I haven't tried right, it. Right, but uh, Apple, well, no, Apple the kibosh. Does, yeah, I got the kibosh. It doesn't work anymore. So I'm back mm-hmm. to Launchbar because they have. You know, you can add on extra stuff to it, basically. I, I was just working in on my Mac the other day, and, and Launchbar, for some reason, was not running. I didn't realize it, and I was doing all this stuff. And I, I even copy, like, multiple things when I'm going through a document, knowing that I can go back and access it. And it's just heartbreaking, you know, when you go right. and you hit the, you know, the keyboard. It's like second nature. I, I know it with my fingers, and I couldn't tell you what it is, but I press. Something happens on my keyboard, and it all shows up, and, and it says Launchbar is not loaded. And I was I was very sad. Yeah. No, so th- that's that's honestly. How about you, the, Katie? Are you doing are you doing clipboard history? How do you do it? Yeah, I do. I use it a lot for my weekend review blog posts. Yeah, gotcha. yeah. I mean, just to the sort of. I mean, when I, if I'm just doing right, like if I'm just writing an article, I'll still pull out the Chromebook sometimes. Where, I, especially, so I mean, I do weekly articles and daily updates, and and they're about the same length. But daily updates are more topical and timely, and usually about something that just happened. And there's usually more copying and pasting then and there it's just it's just much easier to do on the mac because of clipboard history frankly is the biggest reason and also you know on my mac i have a mac hook up to two two monitors and so i have basically three monitors on my desk and so i can look at multiple things um when i'm writing an article though which tends to be a little more kind of like maybe theoretical and and one con focusing drilling deep on one thing i will still sometimes pull out the chromebook in, in part just because it's better for focusing and um, and it's a, you know, the pixel remains a great, the keyboard's fantastic. The screen's beautiful. 
Um, and I don't, I'm not flipping back and forth and doing a lot of, you know, copying and pasting. And it, it's still a great experience for that. And that's why, it, and I can draft, you know, is on both because it's, it's, a, it's a web app. And yeah. um, so for me, I, I, I do like, for writing, I, I'm really, I, for writing, I'm very much on the cloud thing. For other apps, I like apps better. I like using actual apps as opposed to web apps better, like mail and other sorts of things. But like it's super like I'm very hesitant to use something that is one platform only. So like I use an outliner to keep track of some links and I like outlining in general, but I've switched from Omni outliner, which I adore. I love it. It's amazing. But I use workflow now because I'm, I don't like the fact that Omni outliner means I'm restricted to, to a Mac like that. That makes me uncomfortable. Uh, I don't like, I don't, I, I just, it's a constraint that is not necessary anymore. And so I don't want to, so I, it's mostly cross platform or there has to be a web component at least um, for me. Is it? Yeah. Cause like for me, a big deal, I make decisions that quite often if they have iOS versions or not, because to me, I, I think I treat the iPad similar to the way you treat your pixel. It's, um, it's something where like sometimes I want to go for Starbucks for two hours and just work on one thing. And the iPad is great for that for me. But if the app does not support that cross platform, you know, within the Apple family, then I, I can't use it. And you're having the same experience, but on a broader scale, you know, you yeah, want it, it to, to work it, on and part of it. Pl- and part of it is probably irrational, but it's just a, like, this just makes me feel better about things like knowing in part of it's because I travel a lot and, um, so probably the chances of me losing something or having something break are, are higher than for most people. But the, the, I, I just, I don't know. It has such an impression on me. I remember being at work at Microsoft and there's a document that I needed and I needed it right then. And it was in pages format and there was nothing I could do about it. I think I actually had to leave work and go home and get my Mac and open it up. And, and I'm like, this yeah. is stupid. Like there's no reason this is a purely artificial limitra- limitation that that there's no reason for that to exist. And again, Apple fixed that because now there's iWork online. So theoretically, that wouldn't be a limitation anymore. And good for them for doing that. But I like for so like for the like the Omni Outliner thing. That's that's a perfect example. Like I I like Omni Outliner format. And yes, you can save it to like OP, OPML, but then you're giving up most of the cool functionality in Omni Outliner. That is the reason yeah. you use it anyway. And I'm not, I choose to forego that functionality because I don't want that constraint on my ability to be productive anywhere with any device anytime. Well, what, what are some of the apps you're using to, um, I I guess we should probably do our last sponsor. We're, um, getting into this. We're at here one hour and 18 minutes, but uh, I also want to talk about, um, what are some of the apps that you are using on the ground to get some of the stuff, maybe on that Mac. Uh, what are some of the little things you're using that, that help you get through the day? Uh, before we do that though, why don't we take a minute to talk about our last sponsor? Yeah. Our last sponsor is the Omni group. And I want to talk a little bit about Omni focus. You know, I have tried a lot of other task management systems and I, I use little bits of other task management systems. We've talked about how I use reminders and how I use the do app, but at the end of the day, everything really comes down into Omni focus for me. Um, nothing really gives me the total granular control over my life of what Omni focus does. And I notice it the times that I back away from Omni focus, the times that I'm not good about keeping up with putting things into Omni focus, 
focus or doing my weekly reviews. Um, I notice it because I feel like I am not in control. And with OmniFocus, my life is planned out. I may not necessarily be on top of everything, but I know what I'm not on top of uh, when I'm using OmniFocus. And without it, I really find myself drifting a little bit and lost. Um, It's one of the most important tools that I have for being able to get my work done. And it's become one of the most important things that I do on my Mac and on my iPhone and on my iPad. In fact, OmniFocus was the tool that made me finally say, you know what, forget this. I'm bringing this Mac into my office because I've absolutely got to have it to get my work done. Um, I use OmniFocus. Uh, Version 2 is out now on the Mac and on iOS. They've been out for a while now. Um, and um, on the iPhone and the iPad, um, they have really upped their game on these iOS apps. Now they're together as one universal app and they just keep getting better. And I'm using OmniFocus quite a bit now on the Apple Watch. Uh, the Apple Watch apps comes free with the universal version of OmniFocus. You can install it and it's just waiting for you to become productive. I actually have the complication installed on my Apple Watch. Uh, it's up there in the, I have to look, think about it now. It's in the upper uh, left-hand corner of my watch because I don't have my watch on right this second. Uh, and it's a great way for you at a glance to see what's going on for the day. Um, I love it when there's a little checkbox and a zero next to it because that means that I have nothing else I have to do that day. But you at a quick glance can see what you have due for today and what's coming and you can get take care of it. You can also use the power of Siri uh, in OmniFocus with the Apple Watch to add things to your inbox, uh, making you feel like a very super productive person. Um, And it continually picks up the last perspective or context that you used when you were last looking at your iPhone, um, making sure that you're always where you need to be. So you can just quick tap on that. Um, You can get in to see what's what's on the agenda for today, um, see what's in your inbox, see what was looking at your last perspective. There are all kinds of interesting things that you can do. Um, And it's a fully functional app on the website or excuse me, on the Apple Watch, you can get a demo of it if you'd like to see it um, on their website so you can get an idea of how it looks and feels before you go ahead and buy the Universal OmniFocus iOS app by heading over to omnigroup.com slash OmniFocus where you can play around with the demo and find out a little more. Um, The OmniFocus backs up all of their apps with an amazing support team. They're confident that you're going to love it, and they offer a free 30-day return policy. So you shouldn't just take my word for it. If you're not sure if this is the right app for you, um, Omni offers free trials of all of their apps for the Mac. Um, And so you should download it. You should try it um, and see if you like it. And if for any reason you buy it and you're not... You can send it back and Omni will take care of you. So go head over to the omnigroup.com and check out OmniFocus today. And thanks, Omni, for your kind support of the show. So are there any other like little apps that are kind of key to stratechery operations uh, that you're using between your iPhone and your your Mac? Uh, the, uh, I, I do the, I mentioned do the writing and draft, but I, I have a very sort of like a, you know, very basic workflow. I, yeah. I, I write in draft, I copy and paste from there directly into the WordPress web app, which again, I have as a single site browser. Um, well, one of the, the things I've learned about you in the show is, is I, I kind of appreciate where you're coming from. You're saying, look, I just want it to be super simple when I, I want to be thinking about my words, not about, you know, anything fiddly. Yeah, no, exactly. I mean, they're like, I used to be more fiddly and I used to be, you know, there, I do like apps, like, but th- I, there's also various complicated. Like, there is an advantage to being simple. Like, um, I'm a big fan of Mars Edit. I used to do a lot of blogging for a previous blog in Mars Edit. Um, Daniel Jelka's excellent, you know, blog editing app. But I have like some, like, I have a custom, like, my site's pretty custom, and there's certain fields and stuff like that that it doesn't don't quite work with 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 Mars Edit, unfortunately. But 
it also there's the aspect of again i i like having a workflow that is very transferable between computers and using the the, the app is is part of that uh you know for all wordpress's you know you know warts and challenges um you know it, it, it's it, it works it works for me um so one of the I, things I, i've noticed during the show is you, you haven't talked much about your iphone i do you do you use it much for work or is it just kind of a communication device for you? Yeah, I know I do the vast majority of my reading on the iPhone, frankly. Um, I will do research type work more on the Mac, particularly when I'm doing something. But when it's just con- like, oh, my day is split in half where half is the actual writing. But the other half is just is just reading. I am just reading all the time. Yeah. Um, so a big part of that is just is just news. I'm reading, you know, like uh, you know, tech meme, like all the stuff that happened. Uh, reading various apps, that, you know, reading Twitter and Nuzzle is is a is an app I find very valuable for kind of uh, elevating the stuff in your in your Twitter stream that's worth reading. Yeah. So so uh, Nuzzle for people who don't know is is an app that looks at what the people you follow are interested in, and uh, they send an email people that you follow on Twitter. Yeah. Exactly. And it, it's actually a really great way to kind of get to the to the nut of things that may be of interesting in your community, right? Particularly, particularly for the sort of articles that you went, you're not going to go to directly, but th- that kind of bubble up. Um, the uh, so that's that that's important. A lot of my stuff though is just original like heart news, like so you know whether it be reading the times or the financial times or something like that. Um, do you do RSS? Kind of, I mean, do you have a bunch of sites that you daily check? Do you pull them in through RSS feeds? I mean, how do you kind of source all this stuff? I know you mentioned nuzzle, but other ways. So I, I, I used to be a big RSS reader, particularly when the iPhone first came out, you know, having, you know, being able to read RSS, you know, RSS was amazing. Actually, I, I've been reading on my phone for it. So this is another thing. Like I'm, I'm a, I think I've been a little ahead of the curve on this. Like I've been reading, and using my phone, particularly for reading for years, like since like my first cell phone in like, you know, 1999 or whatever. Uh, I remember racking up a massive bill because I was reading on like the three lines of text using WAP. Like I, I, I got RSS, I got RSS configured on a flip phone. So I've, I've, I've that, been doing this for a long time. Yeah, and then I was you know a big Nokia user um, for several years and, and they, had, they had pretty nice big screens and uh, I think I used to use uh, the net net newswire when they were acquired by Ranchero. I think they yeah. had a nice online, actually WAP interface that I used to use quite a bit. Uh, and so, and then the, obviously the iPhone came out, and I think a lot of people the iPhone was when the first time they really conceived of the idea of like reading on their phones. I'd been doing it for for nearly a decade at that point, so I've always been very, uh, very device centric when it comes to reading and consuming content. And I read a ton just constantly. Interestingly, I've kind of fallen off the RSS bandwagon um, in part because it's one of those things where it just gets too much and, and too overwhelming. And I always mean to get started again, particularly because there's, there's a few people that write where like, I, I, I think RSS is best for people that you want to read everything they write, but they don't read, they don't write enough to warrant going to their site. Um, you know, to check if there's something there. And, and the problem is, the problem is general one, your whisk ends up getting too full and you have too much stuff. And then it's just another th- inbox. Um, but then two, right now there is, it's kind of a pain to add sites and get started and get, it's, it's, it's like, this is a, this sounds stupid, but it's just one of those things that just haven't gone to the trouble of getting it reconfigured again. So I actually, I don't use it as much as, as I would. 
um, as I probably should. Uh, so no, it I sounds don't like you have enough material to read as it is, though. Well, I and again, a lot of what I do is is uh, is just original original source stuff, and and so I read stuff like like earnings calls. Like I'll I'll read like transcripts on earnings calls and things like that about different companies, and I find that very valuable. And I just read a lot of news, a lot of stuff that happens. And really, what I'm offering with Checker, I think, is is assimilating lots of different stuff and 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 putting it together. And there's tools I use for that. I mean, I, I any link that's remotely interesting, I save into Evernote, which is a terrible application, and I would not recommend anybody use it. But uh, it is cross-platform, and um, and you can it, it has a it has a, a uh, what's the word uh, what's the word on on Mac where you can um, a sharing button. Yeah, it, it's an extension button order. Extension, thank you. Yeah. Yes, it has an extension. And so it, it kind of works. Um, I If there's stuff I know I want to write about and I have links, uh, I, I will open up Workflowy, uh, the, the outliner tool I mentioned. I'll open up Workflowy on my phone and I'll, I'll, I'll paste it in there. Uh, and, and so I collect a lot of stuff. But honestly, um, it just I just happen to have a very good memory, frankly. Which is not good. I don't recommend working this way. But a lot of stuff, like I just, oh, I remember I read that somewhere, I and that, so yeah, kind of I, retaining that, and then and then being yeah. really good at Google, um, it gets me a lot of stuff as well. Well, I think one of the mistakes we make as humans, and this is something that I hear from people on, with respect to a lot of apps, is that just because a computer can collect the data doesn't mean we can process it all. So. Like when you get like a pocket or an Instapaper, you'll just start dumping stuff in there and you'll open it one day and there's like 3,000 unread articles, you know, or there's, they do the same thing with RSS. They subscribe to so many feeds that, you know, it's got a thousand unread every day. And I think if you can find, find it in your heart to, to, to really pare that down, those services like that could be a lot more useful. Yeah, and I I definitely think that's that's the case. And um, what you know, a big thing for me with computers was kind of accepting that uh, there there's I, I like the idea of everything very being very organized and tagged and in folders and stuff like that. Uh, my mind just doesn't work that way, and it's just so much of a mental burden for me to one do that, and two even if I don't do that, feel like I ought to do that. You know, and like feeling guilty for not doing that, and just like. The, the other thing computers are good at is, is search, frankly. I mean, search is really good at finding stuff. And f- yes, you occasionally can't find that one thing that you needed. And if you had filed it correctly, maybe you would find it. But for me, the trade-off of uh, foregoing the upfront mental burden of keeping stuff in order is worth it, particularly because search works so well um, that – you know, I can probably find it if I need it. And if I don't, well, I'll take that. I'll take that hit. Um, again, I think, I think a big thing for in general for productivity, and this is something that was hard for me to accept for myself personally is again, I can listen to your show and, and you guys and feel very intimidated. You can be so organized. Um, but I, my mind just doesn't work that way. Like the, the entire, I think, yeah, I like to say that everyone's strengths are their weaknesses and kind of the strength I bring to, I think, my writing and my analysis is to take a big picture systematic view. On the flip side, the weakness is getting into the actual details and like kind of like all that sort of stuff. I admit that can be I need to be careful in my analysis with that, but that extends to things like being product being, you know, by productivity. Like I need to big picture get uh free up my 
myself and I mean, I get paid to think about stuff and to think about things queerly and lucidly and to articulate them. And so whatever I can do in my workflow to, to re- reduce the mental burden and uh, is a good thing. And if that means being on the surface, less organized and more messy, but having systems in place to, to catch myself um, then that's a, that's a worthwhile, that, that's the way I think about that trade-off. I think you're being too hard on yourself, honestly. <laughs> I, I think, you know, there, there's a separate sickness where you go to the flip side and you're like, everything is in this perfect folder, but I haven't written anything for three months. Um, you know, so you're doing what you need to do. Um, I, we got Ben Thompson on our show and there's an Apple event coming up in March. Well, we, we're in March now as we record this. Um, from probably in a week or two, depending on when this releases. Yeah, Yeah. as the show publishes, uh, the the rumor is the fifteenth or soon thereafter. Twenty first. From from your vantage point, Ben, is there anything we should be on the lookout or or things of interest to you uh, with this upcoming Apple event? I mean, it's interesting. I mean, it seems relatively you know low key. I mean, a new a new iPad Air, which is um, sounds good to me, except that I just bought the iPad Pro expressly for pencil purposes. Yeah. And of course the pencil wasn't available. And by the time it was available, uh, I'd broken my arm. So I've never <laughs> used the pencil yet. Um, and now the air is coming out. Uh, and then, you know, apparently a watch with a camera and then um, th- this iPhone SE. Uh, the, I think the iPhone SE is very, very interesting. And the reason it's interesting is uh, it could be one of two things. Either one is just a smaller iPhone and it's directed at people who would prefer to have a smaller iPhone and maybe holding out for that. And that's fine. That's, it's interesting. I don't think it's that interesting. Um, it's, it, 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 that's probably the most obvious answer what it might be. Um, and then it'll be updated maybe every year or whatever and, and fit with the current lineup. Uh, I think it'd be more interesting if they're building this phone uh, with a lower sort of cost structure in mind. Uh, where and they plan on building and manufacturing this phone for like four years or five years or something. In other words, it's yeah, it's an iPhone, but it's actually the first iPhone that really is designed for a long run lower price point. And yes, it may be more expensive when it comes out, but in the long run, they want this to be. I mean, you know, the iPhone four kind of stuck around for longer. And so Apple is actually selling four models, but it was only on sale in like India and uh, and a couple other markets like that. I am curious. I I could certainly see a case where this iPhone SE is less about 2016. It's more about they're still selling the iPhone 60 in like 2019 in India for like $200. Uh, And well, you know, we hear every couple of years we hear, okay, this will be the finally time that Apple starts to try and push into the lower, you know, market for phones. And, you know, that was what that was the big rumor with was it the 5C, right? Yep. And, and I think it, I, I at least think it, it really wasn't. It really wasn't. And I think it, it turns out the 5C was really just like the iPhone 5 was really hard to manufacture and it, it was costing them too much money to make. And they didn't want to have to keep making it for a few years. Uh, and um, I think in retrospect, it seems it, from what I've heard and, and various reasons that it, it was really just a it was more born of necessity than anything. Uh, the iPhone just five was really hard to manufacture. Um, whereas 
the SE, I wonder if it might be what we thought the 5C was. And again, this is all relative. Apple's not going to make a I mean, cheap phone. You can buy a phone for $25 now or a smartphone. Yeah. I mean, Apple's not competing in that market. And it's to, and this, and again, Apple, like the, the decision making process around buying a phone is iPhone or not. And then you get into price and features. And that's such a powerful position to be in the market. Apple is not threatened by super cheap phones they're not the fact of the matter is though there is particularly in i think in i think about this phone as potentially being the india phone um where the the income even on the high end of the spectrum is much lower than it is in compared to like china um where you at the end of the day you are going to have a bigger market the lower your price doesn't again it doesn't mean it's a low priced phone or they're competing for the low end it's just expanding the the definition and size of the high end that apple you know pretty much dominates um again we'll see i, I this is all speculation at this point yeah. but um i think it's a very interesting device uh and so we'll see what it looks like well it's something to be aware of and and see how exactly they pitch it yeah yeah i mean i i i, I again this is it's uh i don't think this what I'm getting back to the, the bifurcation here is, is this a phone? It's very easy for people, particularly in the U S or in the West to think about it from your perspective. You know, I mean, that's just what you're used to. It's like, you know, when I've scheduled times with someone, I don't even bother telling them my time because they're not even aware of it. Uh, and that's no fault. Like, people are busy. They have stuff to worry about. They don't, they don't need to worry, think about what's happening in other parts of the world. Uh, but Apple does. Apple is a global company. They make most of their money out, outside of the U S now. And, uh, I suspect when the SE comes out, people will be looking at it from a, a an American lens or a U.S. centric lens, and maybe that's what it will be designed for—to be a just a smaller phone. Uh, but I suspect that to really understand this phone will take a more of a global perspective. But we'll see. Ben Thompson. I'm sorry, Katie. Go ahead. Well, no, I, I was just saying I can't help but wonder if we're going to get to the point with these phones. Uh, similar to where we've been with the iPad for a while, where it's not necessary, especially in emerging markets where price is a much bigger concern, to upgrade every year or every other year. I mean, that's something that many of us in the United States have had the luxury to do. But people aren't upgrading their iPad every year or every other year because they don't need to. They find the one that they've had works just fine. And as we see the the hardware reach a certain level, I think we're going to see more of the updates become about what can the software add to this, not necessarily what is the hardware adding. I, I no, don't know. We'll I, absolutely. No, I think that's absolutely the case. Well, I think there's a couple points to make. One is I think the one mistake a lot of people do make when talking about emerging markets is they look at kind of like the average income. And that's to really – in like so like when the 5C came out, like, like, oh, that's the same price as the average monthly income in China. The problem is that China has a billion people and massive inequality. And the implications that are having being a billion people and massive inequality is there are a lot of people making a lot of money. And, and that's why the iPhone has been so successful there because there is a lot of rich people in China that can afford an iPhone. And the iPhone is very much a – and so it's interesting because there the iPhone is – the status aspect of owning an iPhone is significant. I mean you, you, you're you not going to be someone who can afford an iPhone in China and not have an iPhone. It's, it's inconceivable. And and for that reason, actually Apple's – that's one of the reasons why it's Apple's strongest markets because you also have to have the newest iPhone. And that's like that's why the S versions will add a new color. Like everyone in China has – you know of a certain socioeconomic status has an iPhone 6S that is rose gold because – when you see a rose gold 
big iPhone, it's obvious you have the most recent version, and that's something that's important. Uh, and and so that aspect, in some respects, that it's actually more an emerging market. On the, that said, for sure, the biggest competition to new iPhones is iPhones that people already have. And so I agree with you completely. The hardware is reaching a point where it's getting good enough. I actually think, though, it's a bigger issue uh, – or just as big anyway in developed markets like the U.S., where it's like, well, you know, do I really need to update? As you know, um, and you know, so the, it, but you brought your broader point is absolutely the case, and I think that's that's the concern for Apple is not that they're going to lose market share to to Android because they're not, um, particularly in the high end. It's it's the pace of upgrades uh, and that will that will slow them down um, before anything else does. And frankly, they've never really gone after the lower or the middle of the market before. So, well, there really is no middle of the market, though. I think that's that's yeah. the thing. I mean, there's the high end, and Apple dominates it. And then there's if you don't, if you care, you get an iPhone. If you don't, you buy the cheapest one available. And and that was the you know that was the reason why at the beginning I was like, well, Samsung's in trouble because at the end of the day, what's really different about a Samsung phone from a three hundred dollar you know phone? There really isn't that much of a difference. And you saw how that played out for them. Um, and whereas, you know, there is a difference between an iPhone through dollar phone because one's an iPhone and one's not, um, and all that entails from a software perspective and from a branding perspective and all those sorts of things. Well, well, Ben Thompson, thank you so much for coming on the show. It's been too long. We've been playing this for about a year now, (laughs) and uh, I really appreciate you taking the time to come and talk to us. Uh, there's so much insight. If you're interested in this stuff, I highly recommend going out. I'm a subscriber at Stratechery, uh, and I just love the stuff Ben produces. Um, you can also go check him out at the Exponent Podcast. What's the website for Exponent Podcast? Uh, exponent.fm. Okay. And that's E-X-P-O-N-E-N-T. So everybody go check that out. Uh, thank you to our sponsors, Smile, Omni, Daylight, Squarespace. Uh, ben, you're, you're also on Twitter, right? Yes, uh, at Ben Thompson. All right. We are Mac Power Users on Twitter. Uh, Katie's at Katie Floyd. I'm at Max Sparky. And we will see you all next week. Bye.